0: Hi, I'm Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. Happy New Year from all of us here at Family Confidential to you and your family, wherever you are. Because we're still in holiday mode this week, we're going to be rebroadcasting one of our most popular podcasts. This one from March 2013, my interview with Dr. Deborah Gilboa, aka Ask Dr. G. Our topic, Raising Resilient Kids. Hi, Debbie. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi. It's so
1: great to be here.
0: It's really nice to see you again. We met about a year ago at a conference in Texas, and uh, I've been wanting to get you on this show because we had such a great conversation that day. Now, um, I understand we're talking about resilience, which is perfect because I've spent the last 10 days watching the Olympics. And when those guys <laughs> fall down, tumble in the snow, fall hard on the ice, there's something inside of them that gets them up. And I want you to first tell us, what
1: is this thing that we call resilience? Resilience is often misunderstood as being stoic or not having emotions when something difficult happens. That's not the case. Resilience is the ability to move through and beyond your emotions and figure out what your next action is going to be. Ah, so it's very
0: action-oriented, and to figure out how to move through emotions, well, you know, that's a trick for adults and kids as well. Now, uh, how much of this is inborn? Now, I know that you're a mom of four boys, so you've seen a variety of different levels of built-in resilience, and as a, as a family doctor, I'm sure you've seen a whole range of kids coming into your office. So, is it an inborn temperamental thing? Can it be learned? Where are
1: we at? There are certainly kids, and I bet you know them too, Annie, who are born bouncy. They're just flexible. You know, they fall, they, get, they look around, they get back up, they keep going. When something difficult happens and, you know, the pony ride gets rained out at the zoo, they say, <laughs> oh, well, does that mean we can go inside and see the turtle eggs? You know, there are just a few kids who really are gifted at being resilient. But most kids are like the rest of us. Sometimes things hit them harder than others, but in general, they can feel a little vulnerable or fragile when things don't go their way.
0: And so how does a parent, and our natural thing is to to put a bandaid on every boo-boo and, (laughs) you know, to, to, you know, cajole with the cookies and distract them to do something else. Mm -hmm. Um, how does a parent actually start helping a child learn and build resilience skills?
1: Part of it is by seeing our kids as problem solvers, ah, rather than than us trying to be the the solution. I
0: love it. (laughs) I love it. This is brilliant right there. Start to see your kids as problem solvers,
1: rather seeing yourself as the sole problem solver in their life. I think that that really gives our kids the confidence to try to solve their problems on their own. And this, of course, looks different at three than it does at 13 or 17, but the principle is the same.
0: Okay. So you start with that mindset. It's a shift and it's hard because obviously when
1: your kids are very, very little,
0: they aren't real good at solving problems. In fact, they can't even hold their head up. (laughs) Right. And you,
1: and you are the answer to everything, you know, whether even if you don't have the answers, you're still their answer. So making that gradual shift to showing them, Hey, I respect you. And so I think you probably know what you need in this instance. And I'm going to help you figure it out for yourself, as opposed to me telling you what would make me feel better in this situation, or what I assume would make you feel better.
0: Okay, so this is very nuanced here to make that shift, because I know that we hurt when our kids are hurting. Um, It's it's visceral, and Mm -hmm. we want to assuage their pain as quickly as possible. So to make that shift where you kind of have to take your own deep breath a little bit, Mm-hmm. And knowing, as they say in the song, just because it hurts doesn't mean you're going to die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got to get up and try. And, and when parents, um, I think, exude a certain amount of confidence in their children,
1: their children will pick it up. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I think that that confidence is really important. You know, I was giving a talk about this a few years ago and a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, you've really improved my memories of my dad who died a few years ago. And I said, tell me more about that. She said, I grew up on a farm. My dad was the farmer. My mom taught in town. And so usually when we came home from school, it was dad that was around if somebody had a problem. And the tradition in our house was if something was bugging you, you'd go out and sit on the tractor and talk to dad. She said, but here's the thing. He always said the same thing every time. He said, that's a pretty fine fix you've gotten yourself into there, kiddo. I'll be interested to see how you get yourself out. (laughs) I love that. We used to joke about this. She said, now we're all adults. We're in our 40s. My dad passed away, but, you know, we'll be at a family function and a kid will come in and say, this happened in the kitchen. And she said, my four siblings and I will, in unison, say that phrase to the child. Say it again for us. (laughs) That's a pretty fine fix you've gotten yourself into there, kiddo. I'll be interested to see how you get yourself out. And she said, we thought it was so frustrating, but she said... My siblings and I were all employed and in good relationships and feel pretty stable. And I wonder now if his confidence that we could solve the problem, along with his empathy for the situation, was maybe the secret sauce.
0: It seems like the secret. It really does, because you know what they say about over-functioning parents, yeah. They tend to raise under-functioning kids, kids who really don't think they can do it because the messaging they've gotten from mom and dad all along is, I don't think you could do this on your own. You need me to help you with this. Now, obviously, sometimes they do need us to help them. But absolutely. what does help mean? Does help mean I come in and take it over? Because in a
1: life-threatening situation, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're looking at a situation where you think that your child is being systematically bullied or has an eating disorder, or God forbid, an addiction, or partner violence, or something that's really, suicidality, something that's really dangerous, that we're not interested in our child's growth, we're interested in our child's survival. That is a moment to step in. Any other situation where it's not about our child's survival, then it ought to be about their growth. And then usually the best thing we can do is take one empathetic step back. Okay,
0: let me ask you this, Debbie. Um, Percentage-wise, how many times do you think parents are dealing with the survival thing versus, versus the other stuff in life?
1: Probably 1% of the time or less, but I think it bears mentioning, partially because I'm yes. a doctor and we're always thinking about risk and what could be happening, right. but also because, you know, Annie, I've heard you speak about that fight-or-flight reaction we have and how we have that reaction often when the circumstances don't warrant it. Yes. So it's okay to have our first question as adults be, is this worth a fight or flight reaction? But if it isn't, then to say, this is probably one of those times where I can help my child by having a little more perspective and keeping my eye on them, but just taking one step back, yes. expressing my confidence in their ability to try and solve this problem. Okay, so that bears
0: repeating because it is, in fact, 99% of the time that you're going to be using that. more. more. Or more. Okay. 99.99999% of the time we need to um, assess the situation. And I think we could do it pretty quickly. Is this life or death or not? And then take that step back. Why do you think parents struggle so much with taking that step back?
1: I think that really there are three categories of reasons. One is love, right? And under that goes... The habit we have for caring for our kids, the compassion we have, the experiences we've had, um, how much we genuinely enjoy our children more when they're in a good frame of mind. <laughs> they're okay. more fun to be around. Sure. And, then, and then there's the fear reasons, fear of the repercussions to our child if we don't fix it and make it the best it could be right now, fear of risking the relationship with our child that they'll know we could have fixed it and chose not to, um, fear <laughs> of reputation. I mean, so, so many fears. And then the last is guilt, right? So many things that parents do are sadly, you know, I know as a parent, I'm inclined to be motivated by guilt far more often than I should.
0: Well, this is so interesting what you say, the fear, that middle one that you talked about, the fear Mm -hmm. that our kids will be upset with us if we don't step in and fix something that we could have. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some manipulation going on there in a lot of families, Where there's a dance that has been set up and it's like, mom, I've got a problem and mom fixes it and it's tidy, it's efficient. And the kid, the kid may blame you on some level for stepping in, but it's, it's enabling in a way because they are expecting you to step in and they get pissed If you try to switch gears on them and say, that's a mighty fine fix you've gotten into, sweetie, I wonder
1: how you're going to get out of it. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you're changing the ballgame here. And we can start to set up the pattern so that they don't expect us to jump in, in really subtle but powerful ways when children are little. Um, when my child says my shoes untied, I will usually say, yes, it is. (laughs) My son used to say to me, mom, I'm hungry. (laughs) I believe you.
0: You know, like I was a refrigerator or something.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and, and I try to react to it like they're telling me about the weather, you know, and, and then I will, if they look at me very perplexed, I will often say, I'm sorry, did you want to ask something? And I'm trying really hard not to be snarky. I can so be snarky I, with my 11 year old, right? He likes it.
0: I'm gonna but, be I'm gonna be your your kid who said, "Mom, my shoe's untied," and and right. you, and then
1: you look at me and
0: you say, "Did you want to ask me something?" I said, "Yeah. Will you tie my shoe, Mom?"
1: And then it's an important <laughs> point to notice. You know, are we running to get to the doctor's appointment, and this isn't the moment to tie to teach you to tie your shoe, Um, or you know, I handed you down sneakers that you're not ready to learn to tie them because you're three and you don't have a fine motor skills. And then, Oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to tie that for you. But if you are six, then I have to say, do as much of it as you can. Let's see where you're not finishing it. Beautiful.
0: Wow. You know, when we're calm, Debbie, We are great parents, aren't we?
1: And you know, when it's somebody else's kid, it's so easy. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. Now, we only have a couple more minutes. This has just really gone by fast. I love talking with you. It's so much fun. Um, But the last question I want to ask you, it has to do with these kids who've kind of been uh, socialized to be entitled. And I I picture, you know, um, princesses and princes who really, really do expect their parents are going to jump when they snap their fingers. What do our resilient
1: kids know that these entitled
0: kids do not know? Resilient kids
1: know that how they behave matters more to everyone else than how they feel. Tell me more about that. When someone is entitled, what they're saying is, I feel X, uncomfortable emotions, sad, frustrated, bored, tired, hungry, angry. And so that justifies my behavior. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. Really, 99.999% of the time, <laughs> Nobody cares more about how you feel than they do about how you behave. So what resilient kids know is it is completely reasonable to have and acknowledge icky feelings. But what matters is how you act. And if you express them respectfully and then act positively, you will get empathy and support and help for those icky feelings. Which is what you really wanted. Right. But if you have those icky feelings and act out, the and justify it because of those feelings, you will lose friends, mentors, teachers, coaches, opportunities like mad.
0: Oh, wow. It's so interesting. So often with kids, they are their least lovable when they want love and need love
1: the most. Truth. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, whoa. One of the things though, I think for a lot of us, it It's a question of changing gears and kids can feel that as a betrayal. Absolutely. But if we point it out to our children really intentionally and say, you know, in my love for you, I've been kind of doing you a disservice and I'm going to do my best to stop doing that now Mm -hmm. so that you will see what an incredibly competent problem solver you can be without me. Wow. So I'll step up.
0: I'll step back so that you can step up because that's what growing up is. It's stepping up. And, and I think kids really do want to feel that, that power of self-confidence and um, ability to handle whatever
1: comes to them. And I think that a lot of adults are bemoaning their adult children's lack of maturity. And what they're saying is basically, I have a, a person in my home now who's adult-sized but isn't yet stepping up. Hmm.
0: Okay. And, and i just one more thing. I want to bounce off of that. Cause you, you know, whenever you and I talk, it's always like, wait, what about this? What about Very this? juicy.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, it's really
0: juicy. Um, the flip side of the failure to launch syndrome where you have your 28 year old sitting on the couch and you're still doing laundry for him or her and doing all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is the parent who kind of feels a little bit sad when their kids gain the independence. And I've seen that as well. And I almost wonder if that might not be part of the mix where they are keeping their kids um, infantilized, where they are um, holding them back just a
1: little because we want to be needed. Um, What do you say about that? And not so much on purpose, you know, not thinking I would teach my child to do the laundry, but then he wouldn't need me. More thinking, hey, this feels great and it's working for both of us. Uh, But our job as parents is to see the forest for the trees. And that means doing things we don't want to do, which is, um, <laughs> is raising our, is, is making ourselves obsolete as, um, as workers in our kids' lives. Yeah. Certainly not our relationship. Yeah. Our relationship shouldn't ever be obsolete in our kids' lives, but that role of caretaker, we have to place ourselves out of that job. Yeah. Get yourself out of the the role of caretaker. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. I love it. Okay, so three takeaway tips for parents who not so much of the really young ones, but mm-hmm. of tweens and teens who are listening to this and go, oh, I should have started this way earlier. Um, what can you tell us uh, moving forward? Three tips for parents of tweens and teens to move their kids towards more resiliency
1: skills. Okay, so my first tip is think of things you're doing for your child and pick two of them that you know they could do. And hand those jobs over. Delegate the work that your kids could do so that you can do the things with them that they can't do, like parent themselves.
0: Okay. Let's be concrete here. Making lunch in the morning for school
1: days and- And Doing the laundry. Doing the laundry. Okay. Got it. Just for an example. Saves you a lot of time and gives them skills they need. Okay. The next thing is Mm -hmm. the next time they bring you a problem about a friend that they're having, um, the first thing you could say is, I hear your feelings- and the sex, second thing you can say is, what do you think you should do? What do you think you should do? I love mm-hmm. it. And then That close implies your mouth. so much confidence and competence, mm-hmm. and they'll get
0: there. Yes, and, and I would add to that, while they're giving you their thoughts about what they think they should do about that, do not interrupt, <laughs> do not invalidate, do not say anything like, that's a terrible idea. Just
1: listen. Actually bite your tongue.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. And the third tip for parents of tweens and teens who are trying to now for the first time move
1: their kids towards resiliency. Let life do the work for you whenever you can. So if there is a consequence from a teacher or a coach or you know, something that got lost or destroyed because your child didn't take care of it the way they should have, just let it be. Let them live with that discomfort. Because then that consequence is teaching the lesson and you're not trying to think of some punishment that to match whatever might have happened.
0: Okay. It sounds like another time you might want to bite your tongue because I told you to get that thing in on time. I told you to check your back up. Yeah. Yeah. Just show
1: empathy. That must have been embarrassing. I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. But don't try and fix it. You are so wise. (laughs) (laughs) No, I am not wise, but I have really been blessed to work with hundreds of families in my practice and seen so many different situations. And I can tell you, these are the things that really seem to work for people.
0: Well, they sound really practical and doable, which is great. Okay, well, we're ready to say goodbye. But before we do,
1: Debbie, please let our listeners know
0: where they can find out more about
1: you and the work that you do. Uh, I hope that everyone will check out my website, which is askdrg.com. And I have two-minute video tips on my YouTube channel, which is also Ask Dr. G. And so on my site, you can find out all those things. And actually, if you're looking for tips to build more resilient kids, I have a book called Teach Resilience that is 50 different one-page activities to do with kids from 2 to 17.
0: Great. Thank you so much for your time today, Debbie. I always enjoy talking to you. And the next time... There's a conference that we meet together. We're going to do more than just coffee. (laughs) I agree. Thanks so much, Annie. (laughs) Thank you. This was fun. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. And my latest book for tweens, the girls' Q&A book on friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And tune in next week as we kick off our 2015 season with my interview with Dr. Sharon Celine, our topic, ADHD, support and help for kids and parents. Until then, happy parenting.